I appreciate that. Um, two weeks ago, we considered how we need to have a vision, especially if we are going to be successful in anything, especially as we are going to be successful in spreading the light of Christ, proclaiming the gospel. Last week, we began a look at First Thessalonians chapter 1, the first four verses. Um, we noted that they were commended by Paul for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Given that we, every congregation, every Christian is called to reach out to those who are lost so that we can win them to Christ, we have a message, a message of taking the light of Christ to them. But it only begins when we immerse them into Christ. We have to teach them and make them disciples so that they will join us in the mission of the church. We may do other things, but we must recognize that all things must lead back to our prime objective, that is, the winning of souls. We don't meet this by accident. God doesn't just send us a few people a year. He may do that, but He doesn't, typically. There's much more that needs to happen, and it starts with us, for Him to send us to them. It doesn't happen by accident. We need to keep in mind that the subject of the book of 1 Thessalonians could be summarized in one statement. How shall we live now? What are we to do with ourselves while we await the return of Christ? And as I prepare this, I'm reminded of what Moses told the people, what God told the people in Exodus chapter 19. Because I think there's something very important here that we have to consider. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 and 5 and 6, God says to Moses, Tell the people of Israel, Exodus 19, verse 4, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Whomever God calls, He gives great responsibility to. We see that in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where a master came and he gave his one servant ten talents, another five, and another one. But we also see it in the words of the prophets. So I direct your attention to Amos chapter 3. There's a great deal that we can learn from the Old Testament. And Israel, I guess could say, we could say they failed so much in their calling. And this is what Amos told the people in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. No question in mind who those people were. So the very people that Moses spoke to. And he goes on and says in verse 2, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. And right there, that would leave us feeling good if we were Israelites at that time. But it's the next half of that verse that is kind of makes us ponder and pause and think. 
Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. See, God has given His people great responsibilities. And if we're going to be true and faithful to God, we must fulfill our responsibilities. And so the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, tells us of how the church in Thessalonica did this. Paul continues with his theme of thanksgiving for them. But there's some also some keys for effective evangelism. Because when the church stops evangelizing, stops talking to people about Jesus and salvation in Him, the church will die. And not only that, the church would be condemning all within her sphere of influence to a sentence of eternal punishment. Not only will we get smaller and smaller, but those around us will be without hope because no one ever talked to them about Jesus. Our success or failure will have eternal consequences, not only on them, but also on us. The church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 5, chapter 2, excuse me, had forgotten their first love. And I believe in part that first love maybe was the fact that they forgot to talk to people about the gospel of Christ. For if we're going to make a difference in the lives of people, whether it be in Yuma or around the world, we must possess certain keys. And the first key to effective evangelism is going to be the receipt of the word of God. Paul wrote in chapter 1 and verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What are we receiving? What are we sending? Because we can only send what we receive. But what are we receiving? And that could sound a bit trivial, but given our modern day... It bears reflection. Consider what we are receiving, and that is from Paul, the very word of God. We can know that we are among the chosen of God, that we are among his elect. In verse 4 he says, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. How did they know it? Because of the word that had been proclaimed to them. So it puts a big responsibility on me and upon you to make sure that it is indeed the gospel that we're giving to people. We don't need a gimmick. We don't need to water down the gospel in order to attract people. We attract them with the pure word of God. We may use a variety of techniques to get people to engage in a discussion with us. But what we do is we teach them the word of God. I don't know how long it's been, but maybe a year, year and a half, two years ago, I shared with you what one of my professors taught us at sunset. And that is when we preach the gospel, we must preach a complete gospel. Brother Ted Stewart said that only a complete gospel will bring about a true change, a complete change in the life of an individual. We're very familiar with... Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Well, that's the beginning, that's the intellectual change, that's when my mind starts working within me and I start seeing something. And that's what they heard on Pentecost. And it got them to thinking as Peter and the rest of the apostles proved to them that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah of God. But that brought about an emotional change, because it says in Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. And when they heard this, they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
They had done something and they killed the Messiah. No insignificant thing. And now they're wondering, is there any hope for them? And Peter told them, as did the rest of the apostles, to repent and be baptized, each one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But prior to that spiritual change that I'll step back on, was that emotional change, no, was the volitional change, that of repentance. It's one thing to be pricked in the heart and a person can go from an intellectual change and have faith and can have that emotional change and feel sorry and they don't have to do anything else. They might be kind of left out there to, there's no hope for me in this world. But that volitional change is that of repentance and that's what they did because Peter told them to repent. Just as Luke, Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, on twi- two occasions in those five verses, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. And that's what Peter told them on Pentecost. And he told them to be baptized into Christ. Paul's words I know in Romans chapter 6 and in other passages, he told them to be baptized so that their sins might be forgiven. That's the spiritual change in life. When we have forgiveness of sin... And then it leads to a change of life. Because now we're a new creature. We're not like we used to be. The old things are done away with. That's the complete gospel. We have changed. If we want to attract people to Christ, we have to use His message. If we use a perverted version of the message, we're not winning them to Christ. We end up winning people to something other than Jesus. And so it's the way that we present the message and the way that we receive that message will affect how passionate we are about our teaching others the gospel of Christ. Paul goes on to say, not only did our gospel come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Power is the Greek word dynamis. It's the same word that we get dynamite or dynamo. The message of the gospel should be presented in a very powerful way. And we should have confidence in it. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We don't have to apologize for the gospel. We don't have to say I'm sorry about it. We just have to present it. We can say, I'm sorry that you heard it differently, but here it is as you've read it with with me. Here is the gospel and what it says. It is God's word, not mine. The gospel should come in and should disrupt things, should not only destroy the old life, as dynamite would destroy a building, but it should give a foundation then, a clearing out of the old things in the life. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. The gospel is the power of God until salvation because it destroys the old and gives hope for the new. The power of God was behind the preaching of Paul and the rest of those with him, Savannah and Timothy. It was the preaching of all of the apostles. That's the message that we preach. But not only the power there, he said in that same, very same verse, 
the power of God and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was alive and working in the people on that day. And what was it doing? Yeah, Paul was able to do miracles. He was able to cast out demons, heal the sick, strengthen the the lame, cleanse the lepers, just as Jesus did. But in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, it says this, After Jesus sent them out, commissioned them to preach the gospel, said, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So when the Lord had appeared to, had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, And verse 20, hear me now, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. It was new. It was a new message. The Jews needed to be persuaded. The Gentiles needed to be persuaded. And this teaching, the miracles that Paul was able to do, was that which was instrumental in persuading them. Those who preached the message were instruments of God. They were working for the sake of Christ and His church. It gave them assurance that they were God's people. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the second part of that verse, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 13 and 14. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. A seal, is that something that distinctly marks you out as God's? I don't have it on this one. I didn't have this Bible stamped. But on my other New American Standard that I used to have before I upgraded to the newer translation of it, I had my name on it. That was my seal. My seal is on the front leaf, though, because I wrote my name in it. My phone number. If I leave this somewhere, people know who it belongs to. They know how to get in contact with me. It's my seal. It says it's mine. God's Spirit was given to us to indwell us to be a seal. Not only is a seal marking us out as God's, but as a pledge that He's coming back because He's coming back to take us home. Jesus said, In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If He's going, He's coming back to take us home. And not only that, it is the Spirit that He sent forth into hearts that we might cry out, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. So we have the seal of God's Spirit in us. But the message was also preached with full conviction, full assurance that it was what it said it was. And when you are truly convinced that the Bible is the very Word of God, then you will have the passion to share it with others. And many times you come across something in life where you've been exposed to it and you thought it was a good deal. You can't wait to share it. You know, if you went out today and you immediately turned left or turned right out here and went down to this gas station and said, gas, a dollar a gallon. I'm certain if if there were no lines there, you'd grab your phone and start calling friends and family. Come down over here right away. Gas prices down a dollar a gallon. 
Because we haven't seen it in a long time, right? The gospel is much better news than that. Paul points to his own life as evidence of his convictions of the message. The word of God changed Paul from a persecutor of the church to a great witness for Jesus Christ. The power is in the word of God, not in the delivery person. Let's keep that straight. The messengers, though, are affected by it because it gives them hope. It gives them assurance. It gives them purpose in life. Jesus said... Come follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men to at least four of his apostles. Men, verse 6, they became an imitator of God. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. The word imitate is the Greek word mimites. It means mimic. So when we proclaim the gospel of salvation to others. We're to be a pattern for them, an example for them, to see how Jesus taught us, how He's working in our lives. Why aren't we passionate about spreading the gospel? Maybe it's because of the responsibilities that come with it. And so, maybe unfortunately, we hide it in a handkerchief because we know that the Lord is a stern taskmaster. He just gave us the gospel. He didn't tell us to be successful with it. He didn't say, go preach the gospel and be successful in converting people. He said, go preach the gospel. You see, we can't control what somebody else will do with what we give to them. Only they can accept it or reject it. Our purpose is to proclaim it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the results of their conduct, imitate their faith. Faith in proclaiming the word, faith in living your lives faithfully before God. We're told to imitate the faith of Jesus. Puts a lot of responsibility on us. Paul told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Be therefore imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's the purpose that we live for. Paul didn't play games with God. He gave himself totally to Christ. We don't want the responsibility of watching others and imitate of, of them and imitating our faith because we haven't given our lives to Christ. You have to give your life fully to Christ because there's somebody watching you. And Heather, listen up. Because when she was a young little girl, I was working on the car one day. I had to change fuel pump, so I had it jacked up, had it was underneath it, took off the fuel pump. Next thing I know, Heather's in my tools. She's got her wagon on a block of wood, and she's laying under that wagon because she was imitating what I was doing. Now, she, her wagon didn't have a fuel pump, and she didn't know all of them understand that, but she knew I was underneath something working on it, so she was going to do the same thing. We imitate Paul as he proclaimed the gospel. We imitate those who taught us the gospel. We imitate Jesus. So when we imitate him, we need to be knowing that our life is right so that others, when we invite them to imitate our faith, that we're not saying that we're better than they are, but we're confident of living in Christ and the life that we have. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 8, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, excuse me, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We may be the only people that Jesus, the only, the only people connected to Jesus that people see. We are His life on this earth. And so when they see us, when they see you, are they seeing Jesus? If we're going to win people to Christ, our, your life, my life, we must need to reflect the faith of those who led us. The faith of those who gave us the word of God. We need to reflect Jesus. Paul only wants people to imitate him as he imitates Jesus. Next point. We need to become an example. He says so that in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia was at a crossroads. It was on a central place where you could go to all the way to Rome or all the way east into Asia. They were an example at that crossroads. An example of faith. And their example reflected a changed life. For Paul goes on to tell them in verses 8 and 9, For the word of the Lord, this is how they were an example, For the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They were serving false gods. They were caught up in false religion. And they took the Word of God and they received it as it was, the very Word of God. And it changed their life. They became imitators of Paul and of Christ. And then they became an example. It reflected the outward change to the world around them that people could see. When you and I come to Christ, the world should see that our life is different. That our priorities are different. Our relationships are different than they were before. An idol is something... Anything that one puts in front of God, ahead of God. And there are many false gods, many false idols, and maybe the greatest one of all is ourself. The world should be able to see that you are not self-serving. The world should see that you are different than everyone else who is not a Christian. For the life in the Christian is not dog-eat-dog, but is Jesus serving others. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The example of the church in Thessalonica was that it spread past their city. Throughout Macedonia and Achaia. And take a look at the map in the back of your Bible. And you'll see how large of a territory that was. And it's no small territory. But not only that, they were on that crossroads highway that led all the way to Rome. And all the way east into Asia. And so people would know about them. That's how they were able to sound forth from that small city of Thessalonica. The world is watching us. If we were different, they wouldn't listen to our message. But if we are different, if we are convicted by the word of God to be different, the world will listen. Because they'll say, you're different. I want to have what you have. And so we become an example to the believers and to the lost. 
it encourages those of us who are saved that we sit within a pew on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesdays. One of the re- this is the reason that we come together each week is to encourage one another. It's why Paul wanted to go to Rome in his very first chapter of Romans chapter 1. That they and he might be encouraged by one another's faith. You never know when a brother or sister is struggling with something. When they come over and you see you and they talk to you, maybe just by your presence, you are encouraged. How many have started a weight loss program first of the year? Just January 1, New Year's resolution. Yeah, my resolution's still there on the top of my file cabinet. So, you know, it's, I'm keeping it safe in case I need to pull it out. It's hard. But when you do it with somebody else, you have some encouragement. Because one will say, come on, let's go. Come on, let's do it. You can do this. And when they're down, you can say, no, you, you told me that we have to do this. Sometimes things happen, I know. It makes it tough. But being an example there, being somebody to encourage you is helpful. And that's all we're trying to do as we live in Christ. And then finally, we must be about proclaiming the word because they were. For the word of the verse 8, for the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Keep in mind that this word in the Greek, sounded forth, is a word that means something that would sound like the blast of a trumpet or a thunderclap. So the world looks at us, hopefully they see a changed life. The changed life opens us to us opportunities to proclaim the word. And so as we proclaim that word, what we say resonates like thunder to those who will listen. I'm reminded of an illustration I used a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I've forgotten. Couldn't find it to pull it all out. But it told of a story of a preacher who was eating dinner at a restaurant with his family. And he goes to the restroom and there's an older man in there who's just beside himself, broken down. And he just asked him, said, what's, what's wrong? Can I help? And he says, well, I'm here celebrating my retirement with my family. But I was at the doctor today and he told me I only have a few months to live. He says, I don't know what to do. And the preacher told him the gospel in a nutshell. You know, you can have life. How the man missed it, I don't know. But he missed it. He'd never heard it. And he was excited about knowing that he didn't have to die and it be all over. But that he could have life eternal. And so the preacher is telling him, he says, you've got to come to my family and tell them because they don't know this either. And he gets there and he entered and said, this man I met, I was feeling bad, and I've got some great news, I've got some kind of bad news to tell you. The bad news first is that I'm going to die. I was with the doctor and he said, I'm terminal. But the good news is, and said, you take it from here because what you told me is fantastic. And the preacher was able right there to tell them just a little bit. Now, I don't have the rest of the story with me, so I can't go into Paul Harvey, you know, now for the rest of the story. And they all obeyed the gospel and they were all dynamic and the word sounded forth from them. I don't have that information. But I know with the excitement of this man who was terminal, and we're all terminal, right? He was excited. And the first thing that he wanted to do was go tell his family. And so it took place in an action. It got the attention and his action was to come to my family. And so the verse tells us that wherever their faith in faith toward God had gone, the word of God sounded forth. Wherever your faith goes, it should point squarely to Jesus. What we do should match what we preach. We need to live the life... Of Christ, and we need to preach 
Christ Jesus and Him crucified, raised from the grave. Occasionally, you're going to hear what hear people say, what the world doesn't want you to say. What doesn't? Occasionally, you'll hear that people say that the world doesn't want to hear about Jesus. The world doesn't want to hear about Jesus only. They want to see Jesus first. I think they want to see Him lived in our lives. The world may not listen to you and me sometimes because maybe they don't see us as taking our faith seriously. When the world sees faith in genuine faith in action, they will listen. They may not accept the teaching of the gospel, but at least they'll li- listen. We've been given a privilege to proclaim the gospel, to re- represent Christ in our towns, in our community. And if we're not winning the lost, what are we doing? We're definitely not looking to be the example of the church in Thessalonica. Let's let the community see our faith. Let's fill our parking lot. Let's fill our building. Not just to have the seats filled. But because the gospel has gone forth from us and it's had its work with the response of people who said, that's what I want. Now, I don't know where you are today. But I know the gospel of Jesus is open and available to everyone at all times. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, you need to. You need to repent of sin. You need to believe that He is. You need to repent of sin and give your life to Him. Trusting Him. That when you die with Him and are raised to walk in newness of life, that's a transaction that has lifelong and eternal consequences. Give your life meaning. Give people around you hope. If you need to come to Jesus, won't you please come while we stand and while we sing?